Hello and welcome to the 905er podcast with me, Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And uh, our Thursday 905 Roundup is happening on Tuesday this week. So um, uh, <laughs> welcome to that. And, um, uh, and Joel, um, you are a superstar regional journalist. Uh, you've, <laughs> you've had uh, uh, your third op-ed in the, in the Spectator this week, which was, um, well, and for good reason. Uh, why don't we kick off uh, talking uh, about that a bit and, uh, and what, um, uh, how that came about? Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, kudos to, uh, to the, to the spectator for taking another, uh, uh, another risk with me, I guess, if you will, <laughs> I wanted to publish my, my rantings, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it, it started off with a casual discussion between my wife and I about, uh, the vaccine hesitancy that, that ex- still exists in the province. And we were wondering why, like, why, why is it aside from, you know, why, why would anybody still be hesitant after the million, hundreds of millions, billions of doses worldwide that have been taken for the vaccine and, and, you know, all this stuff. And we thought it, it might be a matter of just rephrasing the, the conversation a bit. And we, we, we kind of came to the, to the conclusion of maybe the, the discussion is all wrong. Instead of just saying, Hey, you need to take the vaccine because it's, it's, you know, it's going to save your life. It's not about a personal decision. We need to rephrase it as a social responsibility. And I, we came up with the idea of, uh, and I put this to basically in the, the opinion piece was that why not treat the vaccine, uh, uh program like we did, like we did with, uh, reeducating people on drunk driving. And my, the summary was, and I'll, we'll put a link to the, to the op-ed, uh, for you to read so you can get, so you can read exactly what I said. But my, my opinion was basically, you know, a generation ago or two generations ago, it was commonly thought of, uh, if you went out partying with your friends at a restaurant or at somebody's house and you had one too many to drink and you decided to get behind the wheel of a car, it was thought of, well, that's your responsibility. That's your, your bad decision. Not something you shouldn't do, but that's up to you. You know, I can't stop you from doing it. And, you know, that, that was kind of the, the social norm for a while until the damage that was caused by that by drunk drivers, you know, killing innocent families, uh, doing damage to people who had no say in their decision whatsoever, uh, got to be too much. And finally, there's yet organizations like MAD and public uh, awareness campaigns to re-educate the public on the dangers of, of drunk driving. So now today, flash forward to today, the idea of going out, having too much to drink and driving home is, a, a, you'd be a, considered a social pariah. You, it's it's commonplace now to consider it a social responsibility that if you're going to drink while you're out and celebrating, you will take, you'll have somebody be a designated driver or you'll find a, an alternative third party to take you home. And I said, why can we take that principle and apply it to the vaccination program and say, you know, this isn't a personal responsibility. The, the idea isn't like, okay, you want to get vaccinated? Fine. Don't. I do. We'll leave it at that. It's no, I didn't get vaccinated because I care about myself. I do. But I do it because I care about my family, my friends, my loved ones, and honestly, for the people I, I have no idea who they are, the strangers down the street when I, I walk, uh, when I go out. And that's the key is to reframe getting vaccinated, not as a personal responsibility, but as a social responsibility. And I, I, I put it out there just to kind of spark a discussion to say like, that we still, have, we still have, what, 15 or 20% of the population not vaccinated, and they're holding us back from kind of re- 
re re-engaging fully in there, not just socially, but like also economically are, we have so many restaurants and small businesses that just want to open and, and do commerce and, and all that stuff. But there's this 15, 20% people are just, it's, they're holding us back. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really good point and a, and a new angle on the on the discussion because you know it's all very well to just get angry at people, but uh, you're, there also has to be an element of why is it this way and then what can we do to change it? Um, that um, I mean, it really has to be involved in it, you know any discussion of public policy and things like that. But but it's a good point. It's like you know when I was growing up, um, particularly in in Europe. Um, you know, smoking was tolerated anywhere. Um, and the idea of stopping people from smoking anywhere w- was like, uh, was, was, you know, like was an outrageous imposition. And it's like, no, but you're killing people. <laughs> um, but there were, the, I mean, I guess, I mean, like with the drink driving, there were these huge public campaigns and publicity campaigns and public surface announcements and the rest of it that got that messaging across. And, and We've had PSAs and we see the Ontario government um, and the federal government running ads, but they're not that kind of, that's not the messaging. They're kind of like, yeah, get your, get your vaccine. They're not like, do this because it's not just about you. And and I think that is an angle that that has um, not been kind of, uh, kind of hit on powerfully enough. well, that's the thing. Like, I think we, the majority, the, those of us who did get the vaccine, and the, we are the majority. Either we did it because we were feeling the pressure of, you know, I, I don't want to be excluded. I want to, I want to be with everybody else uh, when we go out. Two, uh, a lot of us read the science and okay, they're safe to use. They're safe to use the 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 how they developed them and and tested them and yeah, there was a priority. I mean, this is a global pandemic. Of course, they're going to run this through, put this to the top of the list to get approved. Uh, and, the, and then the, the, on a global level, we have millions and billions of people getting inoculated that they are, are vaccinated that they, uh, you know, there's no mass death or math, mass illness. Uh, it, it, these fears have not, have not come to, to light. And there's a question, of, okay, so how, how do you, are we going to be able to convince people? I don't think through browbeating them, but if you phrase it as like, this isn't a personal choice. You're doing this not for yourself. You're doing this for your loved ones. You're doing this for your children, your grandparents, your, your friends and family. And I, I followed it up with saying, you know, the vaccine passport program is a key part of that. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad to see that a number of restaurants that were anti-passport in Hamilton uh, that have since been forced to close down and they're under investigation uh, by the Ministry of Labor for, for violating vaccine passport uh, uh, guidelines, rules, laws, whatever you want to call them. And I'm glad to see that because, it, again, in, in, the, uh, in the opinion piece I wrote, it, we, this isn't anything new. We, we have liquor laws here. And I know this for a fact. I used to run, run a restaurant that was licensed. And yeah, I was told, yeah, you can't, I can't serve underage people. If I got caught, I would lose my license. I can't serve anyone past the point of intoxication. I would lose my license. Uh, and then if somebody was intoxicated and they decided to drive home from my establishment, they could trace it back to, if they trace it back to my establishment, I could have been in, in deep trouble. So to say, oh, well, you know, this is a government overreach and it's, it's tyranny. It's not. We have these laws on the books and they are enforced. It's really 
it's infuriating that such a such a such a weak argument has managed to take hold so and obviously it hasn't taken hold with the vast majority of people but it's taken hold with a small but powerful minority i mean not powerful but you know 20 is a significant enough minority that it's a irritation uh, and yeah it's like we live in a society surrounded by constraints on our freedoms that we have to have because otherwise people die um that have developed over centuries and centuries and centuries you know we used to put lead in bread you know we stopped doing that a while ago because we found that lead isn't such a great thing to be putting in right. bread i mean that's a dumb example but <laughs> well no but it's not. We, i mean we have we have the laws that we have mostly because somebody said well if we don't somebody will do that yeah. somebody will sell you rancid meat at the supermarket if we don't have health inspectors somebody will let bacteria grow in uh you know in restaurants or in in places that we rely on to be sterile and clean if we don't have people going in and inspecting and saying no you you broke the rules here's your fine we're shutting you down uh, you know we don't we don't bat an eye at that like we we don't say oh that's that's their choice that's my choice it's the free market we have to no like this this is we we used to we used to close uh public pools because of polio outbreaks in the 50s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like this isn't anything new, people. This isn't like an infringement on on your freedoms. It's public health emphasis on the public. Uh, yeah, your freedom. Nobody's freedom has ever. No individual freedom has ever been allowed to trump the freedoms of everybody else. That's really all it is, isn't it? So it's like, you know, yeah, you're free right up until the minute that your freedom causes someone else to be ill or unwell or unfree. At that point, you have to give it up and compromise you know it's it's, it's irritating we're even having these discussions because that they're, they're, they're so juvenile really on, on the kind of level of 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 you know this is what you should learn kind of the first day at school you know the same day that you go to school and your teacher says you know this is your chair this is your this is the place you put your bag and you keep your stuff you're not allowed to go putting your hands in other people's stuff you know these are the rules that right. you have to live by um it's the most bizarre, bizarre thing that we're even the intelligent people are feeling the need to kind of justify why uh, we have things in place that are designed to benefit the majority by minor infringements on the freedoms of of all of us. You know, um, and it's not an infringement on freedoms anyway. I mean, it's it's you don't do dumb things so that we can all get along well. You know, it's 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 such a simple thing. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I do think the the point about the um, well, really, I mean, you, using, I mean, I expect you know if we leave it long enough, how these things will get sorted out is that the insurance companies will do what insurance companies do, and the oh, like will. you say the, it, the 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 people who are, who um, it won't necessarily be the people who refuse to take vaccines who who kind of bear the brunt. It will be the businesses who. Um, um, certainly, if their businesses eventually, are refusing to implement the rules, then they, bus- yeah. eventually the insurance companies will say we're not going to give companies health insurance if the majority of your staff are not vaccinated. There will be questions of you won't be able to leave the country. You won't sorry, you won't be able to get insurance to leave the country uh, uh, for health insurance uh, if you're unvaccinated, or if you know if you get COVID. Um, we're not covering it for you. You know, they, they, like the, you're right. The insurance companies will be the, if you really want to get like the private sector involved, that's where it's going to be. And they, they're, they're not, they're not 
they don't care about your your the research you did on your own. They don't care yeah. about that YouTube video you saw. <laughs> they they have they have talked to the scientists and the doctors and they've crunched the numbers and they said you're you're more of a, that twenty percent, that fifteen, twenty percent, you're more of a liability to us than the rest of us who got uh shot. So they'll say, No, don't need money from you. Uh, it, it, I mean, we could go down that road. It'll take longer to go there, but I think you know, I'm 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 very ha happy that the vaccine passports are here. I, I think they work, and I'm I'm glad that we're starting to see them being enforced. That the the Ministry of Labor stepping into to go to these restaurants and saying, no, like this is this is no different than you serving an, uh, a minor a cocktail or getting getting uh, somebody drunk beyond. Uh, far beyond the, the point of intoxication and then sending them on their merry way. This is, you have a responsibility to your patrons. You have a responsibility to the public. Uh, if you're going to be a public, a, a public gathering place, uh, that's, that's all there is to it. Yeah. And actually this is final point on this, on this or final note on this point is it, that touches upon something that we were just discussing between the two of us last week, which is, the enforcement has to be there from the government and from the government agencies because without that, society, Twitter, the Twitter sphere will take the law into their own hands and perhaps rightly, perhaps wrongly say, hey, this place isn't enforcing. Now, the thing, that's fine, but the problem with that is, says who, on what basis, where's the evidence? You know, you've got to do it properly, otherwise you, you're, you're verging on witch hunts, you know. So that's why it's so important and why it's so frustrating that the province has been always like a month behind, two months mm -hmm. behind, doing it at the last minute, you know, when they don't really want to, because into that void falls um, either rumor and innuendo or, um, you know, we're, we're waiting a year for the insurance industry to catch up on something that the province could have done already. Um, and like you say, the insurance industry will be a lot less... Um, uh, well, they won't be lily yeah they won't mess around they're like okay you're out of business go away um so it, it it's this is such a disappointing provincial government i mean i didn't not so disappointing for me i expected exactly this but you know for 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 a government that always uh, and for a premier that always prided himself on this you know, I'm going to deal with things and I won't be messed around. He's such a wuss. He really is. It's like, just yeah. get on and with it, it, Doug. Get on with it, for Pete's sake. Anyway. He, he will eventually. It mm -hmm. just takes him forever to get there. He just gets forced into Anywho. it. Yeah. Uh, the other topic we wanted to talk about tonight was, actually, it's a topic we talked about a little while back. And uh, on uh, September 30th for National Truth and Reconciliation Day, we, we reposted the links to it on our social media Um but we we talked about the Haldeman Tract in here in in uh, in Ontario. Just it's just outside the 905, not technically 905 region, but we border it and it does impact us. So we wanted to talk about it again tonight. And Royal, I'll throw it over to you. What what's going on there with uh, the Haldeman Tract, Six Nations, and the uh, community of Norfolk County? Yeah, well, listeners will probably remember that the the. Um the 1492 back, uh, Landbeck Lane dispute has kind of gone away just because the um, the developer just withdrew their intent to develop and just so uh, it, it's that particular uh, story within the larger story of the whole Haldeman tract is uh, currently resolved or in abeyance anyway, let's put it that way. However, um, the... Um, 
the latest one is that uh, some lands in Norfolk County, about 40 acres of farmland, that belongs to the Haudenosaunee uh, Confederacy Chiefs Council, um, is now at dispute because Norfolk County is planning to kick the Confederacy Chiefs off the land, um, claiming uh, claiming that um, uh, they haven't been paying taxes. Um, now, the dispute is that as far as the the, uh, the Haudenosaunee uh, Chiefs Council are concerned, they don't need to pay taxes because they're First Nations and it's unceded land. Uh, and the um, uh, the Norfolk County sees it differently that they're owned they're owed um, something like three hundred thousand dollars for for um, no actually apologies that's not the right amount um, they're owed twenty three thousand dollars in back taxes uh, for the property which. Uh, so I mean, this relates to the the declaration last year that um, basically by the um, Six Nations of of the Grand River that there will be a, a moratorium on development in the Haldeman Tract unless uh, people kind of spoke to spoke to them first, um, and 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 that sounds it may sound like I'm describing an ultimatum there, but I don't actually think it is because if you read. Uh, the nature of the declaration, or if you read uh, the nature of the things that, that the uh, has been said um, about the Haldeman, Haldeman Tract, it's not the First Nations people or the, uh, or the Haudenosaunee uh, uh, chiefs who are using the kind of extreme language here, but they are saying, hey, we've got a claim here and we'd really appreciate it if people uh, kind of speak to us before just going ahead and pretending we don't exist. Um now, well, ahead, I, I was just gonna—I was just gonna say that this is—I—I—I I, I am fascinated by the story because um, when we we had a—we a, we spoke about it last time, the the question was like, well, what does a moratorium? And this is a large chunk of land, people. This is like the the the, the thing of the Grand River, and I believe there's six miles on either side uh, of the bay uh, of the. Grand River, and that is the Haldeman Tract. We're talking communities like Norfolk County, but also Brantford, Kitchener-Waterloo, Cambridge. Large swat, like a, a large part of the province is covered by this Haldeman Tract. So to say no more, no more development. I thought, well, how's that going to look? And is that enforceable? It turns out uh, it, it might be. Um, this, and quite frankly, I, I'm 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 beginning to think that this might be what nation to nation discussions look like going forward um it, we we recently had the national truth and reconciliation day and you know some people don't take it seriously it, it's the, this might be the change this might be the mark of a changing of the of the guard uh so to speak we, we gotta we, it can't just be business as usual yeah uh, and i think yeah we've used that phrase and, and uh it's certainly a phrase used by by um uh first nations peoples in Ontario of, of that nation to nation communication. And, and I think um, that has to be a message that gets through um, the whole history of the Haldeman tract is, is not, um, it's not nothing. I mean, it, it, that th- th- these are well documented uh, legal disputes that go back hundreds of years and to sort of simply pretend that it doesn't exist, which is kind of what the, I mean, this is very much municipal legal departments doing what municipal legal departments do, um, which is defend every right that the municipality has to the letter of the law, come hell or high water. Um, but it's particularly unhelpful kind of attitude to have in this uh, current environment. 
but mm-hmm. these disputes are going to keep on going on. And I, I mean, I think it's very clear that the, the Six Nations are going to keep on being just as um, aggressive or decisive in, in trying to pursue their rights as anybody else was until well, there is that kind of overall. Um, it sh- it should it should be pointed out though that in in the spec article where where we read this. The, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy isn't saying, no, there's no way. There's no, you know, get off our land. It's, no, come talk to us first. The, like, the, the, I th- I'm, from what I get is the, the, the hand has been offered. The door has been opened as a gesture of good faith. Come and sit down. Let's talk about this first. It, they're not giving up claim to the land. That is clear. I don't see why they should. Um, the, the it's, you know, it, it's, it's part of, it should be clarified that this land in particular is part of the the, the development uh, fund for the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, that they, they do plan to use this to develop it into some, I think right now they said it was used for ag- agrarian purposes, farming and the like, but you know, who knows what that might change down the road. They might, it might turn into a profitable bit of land for them. Good for them. Uh, whatever they want to do with it, that's, you know, that's their right. As long as it's, you know, legal, of course. What what gets me is that it's the you know we just had the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. It's in it just seems that there's such a divide between the realities of what reconciliation looks like for uh, Canada, Ontario, the various municipalities uh, around the around the province, um, and the First Nations people of this land. There's still that huge gap, and you know it's I, I find it's. This might getting a little bit out of, out of our, our wheel well here, but there's something about September 30th, Justin Trudeau goes missing on that day. You know, the prime minister of the country goes missing. Turns out he went on a vacation to Tofino, BC with his family on a day that had a lot of significance, not just to the First Nations people, but honestly to white people as well. We, we, we needed, there's this gulf of how do, how do we reconcile the history of this country with the future we want to have? And this we need leadership on this at the we, we're not getting at the provincial level that is abundantly clear right now we're not getting at the provincial level so we turned to our federal leaders and they were absent and we need as i'm going to say as as white canada settler canada we needed that example of this is how we move forward this is this is serious we need to take we need to act in good faith and he wasn't there now that's a very top high level analysis but i mean it trickles down because this is this is reconciliation on the ground this is reconciliation happening on the ground and and this is what it is it's not this isn't some like hoity-toity oh we're we're sorry let's let's have a ceremony and 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 sing canada and kumbaya and we'll we'll walk away this is what reconciliation is actually on the ground and how and this is where we need to get into into the mud uh so to speak and solve these issues yeah it's not enough to wear a an orange t-shirt um particularly if you haven't even paid attention to who you were buying that orange t-shirt orange t-shirt from or what it said yeah. on the front um that's another story but um yeah this in most things in life i i kind of like to see you know, a ground up approach, you know, a little grassroots uh, uh, collaboration. But this, when we're talking about a people who do not recognize, who have never been uh, a part of the Canadian nation state in a formal sense because they pre exist it, and the Canadian nation state, if I stop banging my microphone for a few minutes, this, 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 <laughs> 
Um, uh, it has to come from the top. And it was spectacularly unhelpful for the Prime Minister to do anything other than use this first statutory Truth and Reconciliation Day as kind of a very hard-working day to be visibly demonstrating his commitment to Truth and Reconciliation. Now, it was this government, or, you know, before the election, that, that passed the law that made this a statutory holiday. Sure, uh, it'll be nice when the promises catch up. But it's just like, who was advising him? And then when when the uh, um, uh, uh, the... First Nations community groups from from uh, Kamloops and apologies that I'm blanking on the uh, uh, on the proper names here, but um, from the from the initial uh, uh, place where the where the first bodies were found at the, at the uh, in Kamloops, when they twice reached out to to the Prime Minister, I dare say that message never got to him, and it was weeded out by 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 staff because that's how things work. But what kind of ship are you running if, if somewhere online someone says, oh, those guys, we need to pay attention to emails from those guys. And actually, that would be a fantastic idea for the, for the prime minister to, to go and, and the very first statutory holiday for truth and yep. rec- reconciliation to be there. And then you don't even reply. I mean, you and it's I know a, how politics works and the do not reply um, it, it's, it's a, thing. It's a, it's a shame. And, you know, that it's just... Why, why are we picking on on Trudeau right now? Well, a he deserves it. Two, um, it, it trickles down. Like you, leadership matters. The behavior of your leaders matter, and especially in what is going. To, I think it will prove to be the 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 challenge of a generation is how do how does reconciliation between centuries of racism and genocide uh, against the First Nations people of this country? How how do we, because here's, we know like white Canada, settler Canada is not going anywhere. We, I, I, I have nowhere else to go. I was, I was born here. I have nowhere else to go. I'm not moving, but I'm not, I, we, we need to find a way to live together. And I got, I, I, I think like, I've always wondered, I, I don't know how, what that path forward is. And I turned to my leaders to f- show me that path. And when they fail to do it, what happens is people give up on it. People give up on it because they said, well, Jesus, too much for him to do. Well, why, why am I going to worry about it? Okay, forget it. I'll go back to what I normally do, which is, oh, I'm just going to take this land, this track of land that, you know, you, you've, you, you've held it for centuries, for generations. Screw you. I'm taking it because that's what I, that's what I've always done. That's what my grandfather did and what his grandfather did before him. We'll just take it from you. And who's going to stop us? Nobody, because the courts are on our side. And it's got to stop. And that's where I turn to the, the the prime minister to show the example of saying, no, this has to stop. And it's something like this is, again, this is this is the, re- the repercussions is this stuff happens now and we need to fix it now and figure out a path forward to, to reconcile because th- these disputes are not going to go away. Yeah, only the federal government can do this. And, you know, if, if uh, Trudeau is, is ever going to overcome the reputation, which may be fair, maybe not. I'm not passing comment right now, but the reputation that certainly some people hold as a kind of a lightweight, who's all all talk and no action. Um, then this is where the rubber meets the road. You cannot brush this one under the carpet and, and think it's going to go away. It can only be the federal government that deals with it. It can only be the prime minister who can be at the forefront of it. Don't pass it off on bloody mm-hmm. what's the name Bennett. Um, <laughs> the prime minister has exactly. to be involved. 
front and center on doing this if he's really not bullshitting us all through the last two, three elections about truth and reconciliation. And I know the government's done good stuff and has spent money and all this stuff, but ultimately, every day that the prime minister is not there in the forefront, taking the ball by the horns, sitting down with the First Nations of Canada, it's a day wasted and it's a day that you're not probably dealing with this. And, and I mean, it is absolutely shameful that he did that um, on, on, on such an important day. Uh, it's, it's crass, it's stupid, it's unnecessary. Blame an advisor if you want. But the prime minister should have his head screwed on well enough to know that that was just boneheaded and bad. Um, well, let's go on to our third story. <laughs> Talking of boneheaded speaking of, and speak, bad. Speaking of boneheaded and bad, <laughs> um, Grace, that's our that's our segue line. Um, we go so we go up the uh, up the highway back to Hamilton uh, and over to Mac McMaster University because uh, the kids are not all right. That was my my tagline. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, if you lived in Hamilton, uh, probably if you didn't, you probably would have noticed that on this weekend there was an unsanctioned homecoming party uh, in the neighborhood surrounding uh, McMaster, which led to a lot of property damage, a lot of not social distancing being ha- uh, being held, and just general chaos and rowdiness that to the point where this. The, the city of Hamilton ha- kind of had to give a, uh, a stern talking to, uh, to the university governance body to say, uh, basically get, get your kids in order. That's, that's a kind of a, 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 a I'm going to say it's a, a bit of a, a striking tone considering that Hamilton's actually pretty friendly with McMaster. Like they, Hamilton is a very much a, a pro university town and they love McMaster. So for the, the city council, and the city governance to kind of come in and say, get your act together is quite telling. It is. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I guess that the, the university authorities would say that, well, wasn't us, Gov, but, but I know you, there's only so far you can take that. I mean, I, I think the, well, the pictures speak for themselves. So anybody who hasn't seen them, there's a, there's a um, picture of an overturn, a car was overturned and, you know, surrounded by, garbage and there were videos of students sort of laughing and cheering quite a big crowd i mean they say five thousand. it looked at least that but um um it's it's i mean obviously we've had like a really bad kind of back to school period in ontario this year that Uh, that's that's putting it mildly i mean yeah if you want to go through the through the the list of transgressions there was an incidence if i'm not mistaken in kingston a little while back of similar partying uh at, from queen students and then of course uh during uh, uh orientation week o week in london uh you had the uh the, the social media stories of mass mass sexual assaults happening across uh, uh or not across but at, at a camp at a residence at western uni- uh at the university of western now i, I should clarify the London police says there's no evidence to substantiate those claims or those stories. It's not to say that they didn't happen, but it is to say that there's no evidence to say that they did, which are two very different things uh, when it, when you get down to the legalities of it. But the simple fact is there was clearly something, something happened at Western that was not something that Western should be proud of. Um, and and this uh, is clearly, there were, and it, sorry, carry on. I, I was just going to say, and that, 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 that kind of trans, trans, landed down the road to McMaster where 
I mean, this is not something that, I mean, it's not as serious as mass sexual assault. Uh, I'm not comparing it to that, but still nonetheless, it's the behavior that you, 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 you don't want associated with, with your school or with your alma mater. If you're, if uh, you're a, you're an alumni. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I was just looking at that. There's also been reports at Wilfrid Laurier. So we've got, um, Queens, Wilfrid Laurier, uh, there was a, uh, sort of illegal gathering of a thousand people. Uh, then talking about expulsions there. Um, also at Guelph, I believe, um, and I'm trying to remember and uh, f- forgive me for blanking, but I think there were rumors of sexual assault at Guelph as well, which is, you know, that's a whole other level of awful, um, and, and troubling. I mean, I think there may be I'm, multiple I'm processes. Go yeah, I'm not going to go psychoanalyze going on, and I think that there's that there's the thing of sort of students finally getting back together after after kind of a, a year away well, and going crazy, and that's that's the thing. I mean, I, I mean I'm not going like I was going to say I'm not going to psychoanalyze five thousand students in terms of what I mean, but it's clear if you think about it, like these kids have some of these kids have never been to university before. Uh, they missed out on the first year because of COVID last year. They they were instead of going off to university and kind of, you know, experiencing that life away from home, that independence and making friends and the ups and downs of all of that, all of that as one, as one should, instead they got to stay home with mom and dad for another year when, you know, you're, if you think about it, like you're, you meant, you're mentally building yourself up for a year, that final year of high school, you're, you're waiting to go out and then the pandemic hits and you're told, nope, stay at home, learn, learn all your courses. There's courses that you're looking to take, you're looking forward to taking, you're doing it from your, your bedroom, uh, on a, on a laptop instead. And so I, I get the, the pent up frustration, but man, oh man, like this is, this is not the way to do it. And I look and say, um, uh, yeah, I wonder if the universities should have been better prepared or better expected. Like, yeah, there's like, what do you expect? Like there's, you have two years of kids itching to get out on their own, a lot of pent up anger just. You know, can you could have anticipated a little bit more. And you know what? It's not like this hasn't happened before. I mean, I think there have been, you know, excessively rowdy events at McMaster pre-COVID. Certainly, where I know for a fact in uh, Queens, it was a, an annual, you know, basically an annual riot that was mm-hmm. uh, not tolerated, but but uh, accepted. Uh, and you know, th- this isn't good enough anymore. I mean, it. it, it uh, you know, God knows. Well, when I was a student. I was a jerk. I mean, okay, yeah, but I put that on the record. Here, here's, here's, I, the, you know. but here's the here's the big difference, though. Here in Ontario, um, the age at which somebody graduates high school and goes on to university is seventeen, thereabouts. I'm, I'm giving an average there. I mean, when I went to university, I was twice that age. I was nineteen. I was. I by the time I went went to university, I was old enough to drink. I I had was able to buy my own beer. So the idea of going away and, you know, partying all the time didn't really, I mean, you had the freedom, but it, it, the novelty had kind of worn off. These kids still aren't able to legally buy alcohol. They're still not illegally allowed to vote yet in some cases. And then we send them off in some cases across, you know, across the province. They're, they're not next door. They are hours away from home on their own in cities they're not familiar with. What do you like? It's kind of it's it's kind of a recipe recipe for a bit of a Lord of the Fly scenario, if you will, <laughs> and I think that's kind of what we're seeing is that you know there's we 
maybe the universities just haven't prepared themselves properly for ingratiating these kids and giving them the tools to properly uh, uh, educate, properly educate themselves in the responsibilities of living on your own. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I should say also realize I just sound like my dad with that last. <laughs> <laughs> there is that, but I mean, I think there were things that were acceptable when I was young that should not have been acceptable. Um, and the, the, those things which were tolerated more than they should have been amongst, particularly amongst white middle-class students who are going on, you know, well, they've got futures ahead of them, so let's not be too hard on them there. We can't be like that anymore. You know, again, replace those 5,000 mainly white, mainly fairly middle-class students with 5,000 black people or homeless people, and suddenly you've got a very different police presence there. And I hate going down this road, but it's true. You know, we've been seeing that ha- happening in in uh, Toronto that that you know that the police action against homeless people has been really extremely um extreme, extremely heavy-handed as far as i can see um and that kind of equity of how you treat different people in different contexts is something that that um that needs to be addressed as well and yeah it sucks to be a student in 2021 when you simply cannot get away with the kind of nonsense that i got away with 30 years ago um but i shouldn't have been able to get away with it then so that's um and you know apart from falling over with a and waking I, up with a hangover i, I wasn't I, that bad i wonder i i you know i i'm i'm wondering if uh 2021 is going to see the the ending of a lot of these rituals and cultures you know orientation week i can imagine it will change drastically uh next year just based on what happened at western alone i hope it does i hope i hope that there's more emphasis on uh, education and and orientation, not on uh, partying. And the, you know, I, I, I would kudos to any uh, school, post secondary school in Ontario that steps up and says, "No, we're not going to wait for us to become the next Western." Well, we're gonna we're gonna nip this in the bud now and and, and figure out. We have a year to figure it out for next year's uh, next year's class. And goodness knows, it doesn't rule out new students having all kinds of a good time but you can't be turning cars over guys and you sure as hell cannot be you know doing assaulting people no you know, right. i mean it's just obviously i'm just saying what's completely painfully bloody obvious but i mean it's it's it can't go on um so uh well that takes us um to well past our 30 minutes actually so um uh thanks everybody who has been uh, listening today um, will be back on Thursday with um, another episode of the 905er podcast. Until then, goodbye. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time.
Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.